Welcome to the CODcast. The legislature last week wrapped up action on a bill that would provide $400 million for a new Holyoke soldier's home and another $200 million for additional veteran services across the state. The bill now goes to Governor Charlie Baker, who is likely to take a close look at a controversial provision requiring construction to take place under a project labor agreement. It's that provision we're going to talk about today. I'm Bruce Mole from Commonwealth, and I'm joined by two men with very different perspectives on the issue. Frank Callahan is the president of the Massachusetts Building Trades Council, and John Cruz is the owner of a third generation minority construction firm founded by his father. Welcome to both of you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Bruce. Let's start with you, Mr. Callahan. What would this project labor agreement do? Well, uh, thanks, Bruce, and thanks for the opportunity to address this issue. As we mentioned before the show, it's, there's a lot of misunderstandings about this, and they're not terribly complex. They've been using them for over 60 years around the country, and uh, more recently, they've been used in Massachusetts on a number of projects. Uh, there's been a lot of confusion about them, I think, again, because of the lack of information out there. Uh, project labor agreements are simply uh, an agreement on a, a specific project to set the wages, hours, and working conditions for the workforce on a given project. And they're pretty much the same for public and private sector, but since we're talking about a public sector project, I'll focus on that. Uh, quite simply, they ensure that the workers on the project receive a fair wage, they receive training, that they receive benefits. By that, I mean uh, quality health insurance, uh, pension, uh, retirement benefits, and they also uh, provide training for safety and skills training as well, and protections on the job. And in return, the owner, in this case, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts for the Holyoke Soldiers Home, gets a highly skilled, highly trained, productive and diverse workforce, uh, along with provisions that there won't be any interruptions on the job. There are provisions in standard project labor agreements to address any types of disputes that would develop on a job, whether it's between contractors, but again, it's mostly on the workforce. And the workers in this case, uh, on any project, labor agreement project, give up their sacred right to strike. Uh, we work out any differences. Essentially, there's no interruptions as it relates to labor relations on the job. And they've been proven effective. We can get into that later on, on other projects. But as I said, there's been a lot of confusion. And I think it's about what project labor agreements are not. Um, they do not and cannot restrict who can bid. By that, I mean contractors, uh, not just bid, but to win the project and actually work on a public project. In fact, if there were provisions like that, they would be illegal as determined by the US Supreme Court and by the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court. You know, I'm a union representative, but unions don't get in the business of selecting who the contractors are. Uh, we don't do that, the owner. Again, in this case, it will be the state uh, administered by the Division of Capital Asset Management and Maintenance who determines who the uh, lowest eligible uh, bidder is on this project. And any contractor, union or non-union, who bids and works on this project simply has to operate under the terms and conditions that are set for the workforce. And again, it's just relative to the workforce uh, under the terms of that project labor agreement for that specific project. And lastly, uh, one piece that's confusing to some people, those contractors, if a non-union contractor were to bid on this project and win it and do the work, 
They would just have to live up to the terms and conditions of that agreement. They do not have to become a union contractor. After that, uh, we would like them to stay a union contractor, but we don't have the authority and this does not give the state or anybody from my organization the authority to require them to be so uh, they could they still operate uh, as a non-union contractor on every other project and at the end of the job, uh, they could go their merry way and continue to operate as they normally do. So that's it in a nutshell. And can they bring their own workforce to this job or do they have to use uh, workers assigned by the union? Typically, most of the under a project labor agreement, they would bring, they could bring their key people, you know, they managerial staff, uh, supervisory staff, but for the most part, they would use a union workforce. Uh, and if they, if depending on the conditions of a project labor agreement, uh, those workers under the National Labor Relations Act would be required to become a union member after a certain point, a certain number of days on the project. But we think that's a benefit to the project on the strength of what we provide. I mean, at the end of the day, we provide that highly skilled, highly trained, safe and productive workforce. And I would think any contractor and any construction user, again, in this case, the state of Massachusetts would want that because we're building a home for our veterans who served our country. And we wanna provide them with the best quality project we can. And we've had, we have a proven record of doing just that. Mr. Cruz, what's your take on, on what the project labor agreement would do and, and what's your attitude toward it? Well, first of all, as a black man who has been in the business since my father, when I was 13, put a hammer in my hand um, and taught me to carpentry because that's where we would carpenter contracts. Um, I, have been subjected, and still are today. I'm blessed, I'll say it all the time, I'm very blessed with our success, but discrimination is what has kept us um, from achieving the goals we should be achieving. Discrimination is wrong, whether it's discrimination against white on white or black on black or whatever. This to me is a form of discrimination, it says, that you can't get the treatment a person who's union contractor or a union member can get. It's really that simple to me. And if you look at the history of minority contractors, 95% of the minority contractors are open shop. I don't like to use the word union versus non-union. We're open shop, we're in the same trade, we and try to give people skills so instead of fishing, they can fish themselves. Whether I have disagreement with the union, they still teach a trade, they allow people. We do the same thing. We just have a different philosophy about how we go about it. And again, I, I face that today. It doesn't stop from still being successful, but today we're not still treated with our success that we had a playing field of parallel equity the white firms are size. Again, I'm not complaining. I'm pointing out a problem and saying, you know, if it didn't stop my father, it's not going to stop me. Mr. Cruz, if, if the project labor agreement that is in the bill now um, makes it past the governor, would would that discourage you or would you would that prevent you, in your opinion, would it prevent you from uh, applying for this work with the, on this project? I, if 
it's out there, I can tell you, I'm not going to bid on a job with a PLA agreement in there. And 90% of the minority contractors deal, and I'm very proud of our record of employing MBEs, aren't going to either because we work in an open shop atmosphere. We're not going to go into an environment where we're taking people that uh, we know and trust and have relations worked with us over years and depend on the union or anybody else to provide the same kind of labor skills and people that we know not conducive to your business. Um, everybody knows how risky the construction business is. So you're not get a small, medium-sized contractor to take those risks um, when they can continue in the mode they're in, whatever that is. Mr. Callahan, um, I'd sort of like to get your reaction to that. Um, but at the same time, I wanted you to explain a little bit about, it does seem like it's quite a challenge if you have your own company and your own workers. You said you could take your own key people in, but you'd basically have to work with all new workers. Um, there's been a lot of controversy about that provision in and of itself, but also that it would discourage minorities from um, participating in this work. Um, Mr. Cruz mentioned that. What's your reaction to that? Well, I disagree. Well, I should start by saying I agree with John's earlier statement that uh, discrimination in any form is not right. Uh, we don't, we, we agree on that. Uh, but this project labor agreement, as I mentioned in my opening remarks, does not prohibit, and I would hope not discourage contractors like Mr. Cruz from bidding on the project. In terms of the um, public project, uh, as I'm assuming Mr. Cruz knows, the state picks who the contractors are. There's a general contractor uh, bidding process and there's a subcontractor bidding process. So whether you're a union or as Mr. Cruz prefers an open shop contractor uh, bidding on this project, you are working with different contractors who are the successful bidders, whether it's electrical, plumbing, roofing, and so forth in a number of categories. Um, in terms of the workforce, we're very proud of the workforce that we provide. I and mean, that's, uh, as a business model, to call it that, that's what we provide to union contractors. And in the case of a project labor agreement, if a open shop contractor was to bid and win, they typically don't have uh, people waiting around uh, of a project for this scale. Um, you have your key people, and I'm sure that uh, Mr. Cruz has his, we call them steady eddies in the business, but it's pretty common for construction workers, regardless of trade, to work for multiple contractors, uh, whether they be union or open shop. Uh, we rely on the strength of our joint labor management apprenticeship training programs. We're just in Massachusetts alone. We spend between 55 and $60 million a year training, uh, I think the number is 86% of all registered apprentices in the state of Massachusetts. Now, those aren't my numbers, those are the numbers from the Division of Apprentice Standards. So regardless of who the contractor is, they, they have a flexible workforce. Um, project labor agreements by definition and by legal precedent are only for large complex projects like this one, which is uh, roughly $400 million. Uh, 
I'd be hard pressed to believe that there are too many contractors that would do a project of this side, that this size that has that workforce hanging around in the office waiting for them to be a successful bidder. You typically assemble a workforce after you are successful in a bid for a project. Um, and in the, the model that we use, and I'm, I know it's different for both union and open shop contractors alike, but you typically then assemble the workforce afterwards. That's what we provide um, is a skilled workforce with that training, uh, with the wages and with the benefits and the safety. So uh, I don't think it would be, be an issue there. In addition, um, in terms of diversity, we train 93% of all female apprentices in the state of Massachusetts and 87% or 86% of all uh, people of color who are in registered apprenticeship programs. We're doing the job. Uh, that's the pipeline to get people in. You're not doing someone a favor by bringing them onto a project if they're unskilled and untrained. It's a dangerous industry, as Mr. Cruz pointed out. We wanna make sure they're equipped not only to do the job and protect themselves, but provide a, a good day's work and the productivity that a contractor, union or open shop requires to make a profit at the end of the day and get a project in on time and on budget. So, so when I look at the, the bill itself and the provision that deals with this project labor agreement, there are all sorts of, well, it looks like there's a commission that's created or some sort of panel to not only verify, but sort of encourage and sort of monitor the hiring of people of color uh, on, this, on this project. Um, why is that all needed if, if everybody, I guess, I guess what I'm wondering, it sounds like even your legislative supporters on Beacon Hill are saying we need a, a, some sort of watchdog to monitor this because they're concerned that it's not gonna attract people of color in the workforce? Well, quite frankly, because the, the, uh, the, both the workforce and the uh, minority and women-owned businesses have been given lip service for the last 20 years. Uh, we feel it's necessary. There's also a recruitment provision in there to actively seek out the contractors. Uh, we've delivered on that. Uh, I'll speak to the workforce components at UMass Boston. We've met or exceeded all the goals for the UMass Boston Project Labor Agreement. Um, we've uh, met or exceeded the goals on the New Bedford Marine Terminal. Uh, we blew the numbers out of the water on just a private project, but the casino in Everett, there were more women working on that project than any other project in the history of the United States. And that wasn't an accident. Uh, we made that happen through our efforts through the legislation that was done for casinos. We wanna continue to bring that successful model uh, to Holyoke and other regions of the state. Mr. Cruz, uh, maybe you could address what we were just talking about, the need in this legislation apparently to monitor the hiring practices. Um, what's your take on why that is inserted in the bill? When it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's a duck. And that's why it was in there because it isn't, I'm not saying the unions haven't made inroads. They have made some inroads far from making it an easy access for people of color to make that switch to go to unions. It's just not there, that comfortability feeling. You talk about trainees. We, we train, uh, and we're open shop. Our members train. Some of the members aren't in a registered apprentice program, but they're training. You know, I was trained 
one-on-one. That's the way it used to be. One with the, a old master craftsman from down south, somewhere, Jack Henderson, that taught me how to dado, cope, and do a lot of finish work. My uncle from down the Cape taught me cabinet work. It, it's one-on-one basis. That's where you need it. And open shop contractors do the same thing. We all have to train or we die. So there's no um, big absence of an open shop contractors are growing. Again, about 85% of the work done in Massachusetts or over 80 is done by open shop workers. If you want to grow and you're a business person, you're going to train. And the hottest thing we all know is getting qualified people now. So, um, Mr. Callahan, the, uh, you mentioned a number of projects where the, the union workforce has blown the, I forget what you, what, what did you use, but you've uh, done very well in attracting minorities to the project. Um, in this, amidst this controversy, there's been a lot of talk about Polar Park in Worcester, which had a project labor agreement, but it was a relatively low number. If I've got this right, low percentage, maybe 1% uh, minority contractors on that project. Um, is that a project that didn't work out so well on that front or is that is it something different that I'm missing? Well, the, the premise of the question, unfortunately, is untrue. Okay. There's no project labor agreement at Polar Park. And that's been, I didn't want to uh, delve too much into that um, because I know Mr. Cruz had sent a letter to the legislature on that point. It was uh, erroneously reported in another news outlet, but there was no project labor agreement. There was no union agreement at all. In fact, of the 16 contractors on the project, uh, I think 10, maybe 11 of them were union contractors. Uh, that was bid under the state bidding laws. So not only doesn't a project labor agreement restrict uh, contractors, whether union or open shop, but in that case, there was no project labor agreement. And on the, I, I think you were speaking to the number of contractors, but on the workforce on the project, uh, they fell just shy of reaching the goals for residents, uh, women, and people of color for the workforce on that project. Uh, but it was the union contractors that carried the weight on that. They far outperformed the open shop contractors uh, who did not meet the goals. Uh, it's unfortunate because we did strive to get a project labor agreement on that project. And I know uh, that if we had, we would have been able to meet those goals, if not exceed them. This again, that's for the workforce. But that had nothing to do with a project labor agreement in that case. Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about the politics of this, if, if you will. Um, for our listeners, this bill uh, started in the House and the project labor agreement was added in the House. It went over to the Senate and it merged from the Senate Budget Committee, the Senate Ways and Means Committee, without the project labor agreement. Um, it was added on the Senate floor, and now the two two uh, chambers are, I think the Senate is wrapping up action on it last week. So I wanted to find out, though, it's going to go to the governor's desk. And what I've been told is that Charlie Baker has not been a big fan of project labor agreements, uh, and relatively few, he's signed on or supported relatively few. What, what are the facts on that? Maybe start with you, Mr. Callahan. Do you... It, what's he expected to do, do you think? Well, I, I, I can't read the governor's mind on this. I would, I would hope he would sign it. 
because of the number of the reasons I just stated earlier. But uh, I know the governor has signed on to a project labor agreement in the Boston Convention Center legislation a couple of years ago. And then of course that project got put on hold the expansion. But uh, to my knowledge, other than that, I don't believe he signed any other legislation. Um, and I, I'm not even sure that there has been any uh, legislation with a project labor agreement that's been put on his desk besides that one. I don't Mr. Cruz, what's your sense of the politics of this? Is the governor opposed to project labor agreements or, or do you have a sense of that? I would hope he's opposed to it. I believe he is, but I, again, I don't have a direct line to him. His support has been for open shop. As I say, live and let live. You know, everybody's employing people. Why cut us out? We employ the same people. Most of us, the ones I know, do the same thing. We have 401k retirement plans. Um, the difference in our particular one is sometimes we're on a prevailing wage job where the rate would be a little higher and sometimes you don't. We have to work wherever we can get the job. And our people for years have been satisfied to be able to get a higher pay on a prevailing wage job if they can, or willing to take a lower rate, but a reasonable rate and a living rate that they can live off and still buy a house if the rate isn't there. So we give the people, and if they don't, they always have the ability to go and get on a prevailing wage job, whether it's um, union or non-union. I'm not saying somebody can't make a ch chance to go make some more money for their family. We found, uh, for the most part, our people are loyal to us because some of them have been working for us more than 20 years, 20, 25 years. Mr. Cruz, Mr. Callahan has sort of suggested though that on a project of this scale, uh, open shop contractors may not have a workforce sort of sitting around ready to jump into action. Um, is that true? Would you need additional workers? Is, is the, how, how would that work for if, if you were uh, on the project? You know, um, first of all, besides being optimistic, thinking you're gonna make money in your low bid, contractors, are very quick on their feet and very keen business people. So we will and wouldn't bid on the job if we didn't know we had some mechanism of providing the labor. It would be foolish for us. So, and, and there's some fairly large open shop contractors right now um, that uh, you know are bidding state-owned jobs and everything else. Again, I just want to make the point that if it's paying the wage rate as an open shop contractor, we don't have a problem with paying that. We're not trying to get away paying less than what the fair wage is, whatever that is. And, but we shouldn't be uh, discriminated against because we're willing to pay the state prevailing wage rate, but we're not willing to be a union contractor. You know, after all of these years of doing it, as I call it, the American way, um, I'm not told that I can't get a job because I'm black. I can't get a job because I'm open shop and don't want to be a union contractor. That's my right. That's my American right. Mr. Callahan, I'll give you a chance to comment on that and then I think we'll wrap up. 
There's a lot to unpack there, but uh, that's Mr. Cruz's choice uh, if he chooses to make that, but he can operate on that. We've got dozens of examples of open shop contractors who have bid, won the bid and performed the work under project labor agreements at the Malden schools, the Songus Arena, the Worcester Centrum, the Central Artery Tunnel Project, I could go on. Uh, they have the option to do that. Uh, it's, uh, it's unfortunate to hear that Mr. Uh, Cruz is opting not to do that. You know, we're in the business of providing careers to, to people who work for a living in the trades. And we've opened up our doors through programs like Building Pathways, uh, which was founded under then uh, prior to him being mayor of the city of Boston, Marty Walsh, uh, which opened up opportunities for women, for people of color. And we also have a successful program for veterans called Helmets to Hard Hats, where we've provided family sustaining careers and benefits and training to over 900 veterans just in Massachusetts alone. I think the number's approaching 30,000 nationally. Uh, so we're very proud of that. Um, our members work for multiple contractors, uh, just like the model I mentioned where you assemble the workforce. Even some of the bigger, non -un bigger union contractors out there that are more than capable of performing a project of this size, uh, they assemble their workforce after they bid. And you know, I'm a member of the painters union. I may work for multiple contractors in the course of a year, but it's flexibility that's provided to me or uh, my brothers and sisters in the painters or whether it's the iron workers or electricians and so forth, they, their benefits follow them, their wage packages follow them. Uh, they uh, training, this lifelong training, they get their apprenticeship skills, which by the way, is free to them. It's the best training available in the industry at no cost to them. We negotiate with our contractors uh, so we have a good model. We want to extend that to the Pioneer Valley, which is where I got my start, uh, coincidentally, with the Pioneer Valley Building Trades Council. And um, we think that's a good model for contractors. Uh, I would hope Mr. Cruz would have a change of heart and give it, give it some thought. Uh, we want those workers, uh, particularly opportunities for women, people of color, and veterans to have that same career opportunity. I do mean careers. Uh, not just a job where you, you know, you may sit, um, sit by the phone waiting for the phone call. If I get laid off tomorrow, I would go to the union hall on a Monday and I could go work for any one of the contractors that my local union is signatory with. By the way, we have um, 75,000 members in Massachusetts, well more than half of the construction workforce in the state who work for over 3,000 union contractors. So it's a big contractor base. I don't have the exact numbers um, on percentages, but we have women-owned businesses, minority-owned businesses, and veteran-owned businesses, and we're very proud of that. And we're looking to expand that as well. Well, uh, John Cruz, Frank Callahan, I appreciate you for joining me today. And uh, to our listeners, we'll see you again next week. Thank you very much. Thank you for the opportunity. Have a blessed day. Bye-bye.